Sister Lisa knows. Don't go to BCC because um, they're kind of crazy. They're kind of crazy. <laughs> Don't go there. So I mean, I was new, so I just said, you know, they know. So I, so I went to the other one, and I mean, and okay, it was fine. Um, but honestly, um, I just. I, I needed more. I needed more. And I remember, and I needed something different. I, I just was like, I was just hungry. I was thirsty. I was like, oh. And I remember I called my mom. And I'm like, Mom, I mean, I just, I don't know what to do for a church. I'm just, I just need more. I'm, I'm you know, I'm reading the devotions that you're sending me, but I, I just need, you know, the community. And, you know, so she was like, and I was like, and there's just no options. I, um, and she said, well, why don't you go to a white church? Like, how <laughs> to do that? I mean, she didn't go to a white church, so how was she gonna tell me? <laughs> go to a white church? I couldn't even think. I was like, I tried to imagine myself driving to the parking lot, and I'm like, is there special parking for black people? I don't know. Like, I didn't know. I could, I'm like, when I walk in, do I sit in the back or have things changed? I had no idea. Do I get to go down front? I really didn't know. And I know that's sad, but that's seriously. That's seriously where I was. That's where I was. And so by process of elimination, <laughs> I came to the BCC. <laughs> but by the time I got here, well, by the, well, before I got here, I was broken. I was really broken. I was busted, stuck, wounded. I was in a really bad place. I was veiled, obviously. My mentality was just jacked up, all the way up. I was uh, spiritually dehydrated. I was religious. I was just in a bad place. I was, but I was desperate. I was just all bound up, and I was desperate. But don't you, anybody relate to being desperate? Can you relate to being desperate? But don't you love how God uses our desperation to move his story? along. Doesn't he do that? Let's, uh, it reminds me of a story uh, in 1 Samuel. Let's read about Hannah. I want to read the story of Hannah or Hannah. Um, so I'm going to start in 1 Samuel uh, 1 and 3. And so while you either turn there in your Bibles or on your phones or on the screen, I want to give you a little background here. We have Elkanai, this awesome dude who has two wives. And so therein lies the initial problem. You have two wives, okay? And one wife, had, uh, one wife, uh, Panina, is, uh, she's given him lots of children. She's had lots of children. And then you have Hannah, who at this time um, that we are introduced to this family has, uh, has no children, okay? And um, a little bit about fertility in biblical times, which is, um, understood to be, you know, a gift. It was, it was prestigious, an honor, you know, to have children. If you didn't have children, uh, you were kind of looked down upon. Um, maybe God did not um, favor you. Uh, you were cursed. Um, it was just a bad, it was a bad place. You had a lower status, you know, in life. So we pick up their story here. So I want to read that. Um, I'm going to read from the screen. So, Each year, Elk and I would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. 
On the days Elkanai presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Penina and of her children. So she got a lot of portions because she had a lot of children. And though he loved Hannah, <laughs> he would give her only one choice, choice per portion because the Lord had given her no children. So she at least got the choice portion, but it was just one. So Penina, who would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. She would sit at the table with them, but she would not eat. Can we go? Thank you. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Isn't that just like a man to make it about himself? <laughs> really? Elkanah, come on now. But really what he was saying, isn't my love good enough? That's what he was saying. Isn't my love good enough for you? <laughs> Somebody said, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow, she was sorrowful, and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Let's continue. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. And that's because back then you prayed out loud. So today I know we can pray silently, but you didn't do that back then. So he thought she was drunk. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Next slide. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat, and she was no longer sad. Did you see what just happened right there? Okay, let's just go over that, and you can just leave that. I need you to leave that slide. Let's go over this. So here she is, broken down, desperate, Hannah, reduced to tears. Reduced to tears, weeping in silence, downhearted, in deep anguish, crying bitterly, sorrowful, irritated, miserable, heartbroken, wounded, and all of that on an empty stomach. That just made it even worse. She was hungry. Poor child, she was hungry. And then Eli says to her, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you Grant the request you have asked of him. And she says, she gets up and says, 
oh, thank you, sir. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. What in the world happened? What? How in the world do you go from all of that bound up, broken down, and you just jump right up? And your countenance changes. You're no longer sad. You go back to eating. You have a smile on your face. Panina probably tried to taunt you again, and you just flicked your head. Like, I'm good. I love you, girl. Sister wife. You know, when you got back to... When you, got, when you got back to the town you're from, you went to register at Babies R Us. You know, you were, you're, hey, I'm good. It's going to happen. How do, you, how do you go from that in an instant? Well, let's talk about Shiloh. Shiloh was the most important Israel shrine. It was a sanctuary. It was a place of peace, a place of rest. The Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord at, was housed at Shiloh. So that meant you could go to Shiloh and access the presence of God. That's where you access the presence of God. That's where you access his power. That's where you access his love. That's where you access his promises. Shiloh was a safe place to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to let down your defenses, to cry. She could cry there. It was a place where Hannah could pour out her heart. She poured out her heart, let down her defenses. She didn't care how she looked. Eli thought she was drunk. She didn't care. I'm desperate. I'm in need. She poured out her heart. And when she poured out her heart, in that moment, God's truth pierced through her conscience and her circumstances. In that moment, God's truth pierced through who Hannah thought she was. She thought she was barren. She was not barren. God just had a plan. He was working on something. And so immediately she knew she wasn't barren. She wasn't of low status. She wasn't who she thought she was. She wasn't the person that, that had, she had dragged into the temple. Yes, yes. That wasn't the same person. That was not who she was. In that moment, it, at Shiloh, God's truth pierced through her circumstances. She gained meaning and direction for her life at Shiloh. She gained meaning and direction for her life. She learned that, she, that God had not forgotten her. And when you gain meaning and direction for your life, then you have vision. See, that's how she got up, and she wasn't sad anymore because she had vision for her life. She had conviction. No need to starve myself anymore. I got to get my body ready for the baby, right? <laughs> so she moved forward in conviction and confidence. She was free. She had the residue of Shiloh all over her, so she just moved forward in peace. No problem. I got this. And some of you know the rest of the story. Yeah, she got pregnant within that year, and she gave birth to Samuel, who was like this amazing priest and prophet. Samuel. So BCC, 
It's like Shiloh was to Hannah. It's a safe place to be vulnerable, to be transparent. I had never experienced that before. Not in the world, not in the church. To be transparent, to let down my defenses. It was a safe place to cry. And believe you, I cried every Sunday, probably for the first four years. <laughs> I was here. <laughs> Didn't I, Pastor? Yeah, see? I cried all the time, not because I was sad, because I could. Yeah. Because I could. Yeah. The BCC was a loving place. It is a loving place. We found community here. It was positive. I love that on the, the video. No judgment. Just come. Just come. Grace abounds. It was a place to be transformed. Transformation was taking place. It was a place of becoming new. The Smiths cultivated a culture of becoming, always becoming, never st stagnant, not I've reached a point, I'm good now, always becoming. This place was like, it is like, sorry, I keep saying was, I know it still is, but I'm talking about, you know, my experience. It's like a womb, like a, like a chrysalis, you know, a chrysalis, the, um, the case that protects metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is, is a, the chrysalis is a place of becoming. Because while I came to the BCC and in um, 1995, it was a black church. But what I didn't know, it was a place of transition. We were about to go through a metamorphosis. We were about to go through a transformation. And around, about a year later, or several months later, the Smiths started talking about becoming interracially one. You remember that? Yeah. Bio. Yeah. Bio, he kept saying. Bio. We are becoming interracially one. And essentially that meant we're not going to be a black church anymore. And within me, I don't even have the words to describe how that felt. <laughs> I really wrecked like how? I was trying to put a word, I, the best word I could come up with was confused. I was really confused about that. That didn't make sense to me. But because I had been at Shiloh BCC for several months at that time, I knew, I knew that they heard from God. I knew that the love of God just resonated through them. I knew that they had the residue of Shiloh. I knew it, and so I remember thinking, like, that sounds crazy. White people, we're gonna go to church with white people. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, well, I'm not really cool with that, but I love them, and so I'm on board. I don't know how we're gonna do that. I've never seen anything like that before, but okay, we're gonna go to church with white people. And then the metaphor, the metamorphosis, we actually started morphing. <laughs> and then I remember when he brought Peter, no, before Peter, there was this one white guy 
Who cares? Do you remember that white guy? I remember it so vividly. I remember his name even. Nathan Berry. He came every Sunday. Now before that, we would, as a black church, we would be visited by white students occasionally, just to visit because there was some like social, yeah, science or something class. And so they would come and visit. I'm so serious. And they would, <laughs> and they would observe us. And I mean, they would make it clear, you know, when it was time to say that, you know, why you were visiting, they would say, we are from the such and such class and we are just observing something that is different than <laughs> what we know. So they would observe us and they would write about us and then they would leave. And so it was clear that they were not coming back. But there was this one white guy. Sunday after Sunday, he was there. And I remember thinking, what is he doing? What is wrong with him? Why does he keep coming back here, you know? What is going on? Okay. So then, so then it was clear that he was here to stay and we, we were becoming interracially one. And I remember when pastor ushered in Peter Thompson. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Okay, first of all, the choir of the BCC is called Gospel Soul Innovators. What about that? Seems like you should put a white guy out front I, to, to lead and direct us. I do not know. So I was like, and I remember the first practice Peter came to, and uh, Pastor was like, Sister Doctor, even though I wasn't a doctor back then, you know, he was just speaking those things that were not as though they were. He says, Sister, he can play anything. He just, he's just amazing. And he was going on and about Peter. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, right, Pastor. Like, and again, that's my mentality, you know, like, he's a white guy, Pastor. Okay. And then he started playing. Yep, and then he started playing, and then the rest is history. <laughs> oh my gosh. Peter. I was like, oh, this is just so interesting. And it was an interesting metamorphosis because I remember at one time, and we took that seriously, guys. We were doing this thing. And I remember at one time, you could like get in the car with a white person and they were listening to Fred Hammond because they were going to get this. And you could get in the car with a black person and we were listening to Hill Song because we was going to get that, didn't you? Because Pastor said, go to the different part of the, of the music store and go to a part that you don't normally go to and buy music from that part. And so we said, okay, didn't we? We said, okay, and we did that. And then we put those things in our car. Okay, we can get this. We're going to do this. I went back home and I'm sharing this music with my family and they're like, you have lost your mind. You have lost your mind. Get that out of here. We have come such a long way since then. A meta Let me tell you something about a meta what happens in the chrysalis of the metamorphosis. When a caterpillar, when a caterpillar is uh, still in the egg, not even out of the egg yet, it has um, these little discs inside its body, something like embryonic cells. And those cells um, are actually the parts that are going to turn into the butterfly, but they remain dormant. They remain dormant in the caterpillar, even though the caterpillar isn't even um, born yet or come out of the egg yet. So they remain dormant and the caterpillar is still becoming 
a caterpillar. So the caterpillar comes out of the egg. And you know caterpillars, they eat and eat and eat until time to go into the chrysalis to, um, to uh, experience metamorphosis. Yes, so they're in the chrysalis. And then the caterpillar, now this has been a mystery until recently. The caterpillar then digests itself, turns itself into like a soupy kind of liquid, like totally gone. Everything kind of turns into a liquid except for the cells that are going to become the butterfly. So all of the old parts, all of the old parts of the caterpillar are gone. And then, because <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? And then the old stuff becomes the nutrients that feeds those discs, those cells that rapidly turn into all the body parts of the butterfly. So it becomes a wing, it becomes the eyes, it becomes the antenna, it becomes the body of the butterfly. So by, at the end of the process, there is no old part of the caterpillar that, is ex that exists. So the caterpillar, the, the caterpillar did not go into the chrysalis because to become a bigger and better caterpillar, to become like, oh, I'm some new and improved caterpillar. It went into the chrysalis to become a totally new creation, a totally new, <laughs> new, a totally new creation. This is a place of becoming. This is a place where you have cultivated becoming. This is a place to become a totally new creation. Come on now, look at my life. Look at what I came from. <laughs> and I married that one white guy who came to church every Sunday. Thank you. And you know, this summer, speaking of caterpillars and butterflies, this summer I'm like trying to get my my, my three-year-old to appreciate the caterpillar because you know sometimes little people see things on the ground and you know they want to step on it so you know the caterpillar the caterpillars you know they um at a certain week they all just kind of start crossing the sidewalk going to eat more grass so I'm like look you know it's going to become a butterfly and I'm so excited on, and I'm so excited to watch the caterpillar going to become the butterfly. And as soon as I turn my head, squash. <laughs> she squashes it. I was so furious with her. Yes. How can I make her understand what she just did? You just destroyed a butterfly. You just destroyed a butterfly. And like so many in the world, they don't appreciate the caterpillar. They don't appreciate what is in the caterpillar. They don't see the butterfly. They don't see the caterpillar as the process of becoming the butterfly. <laughs> of becoming the butterfly. But they, I think they like, they have mastered cultivating the, the becoming, the culture of becoming. And so while my three-year-old squashes the butterfly and I'm upset, she doesn't know, you know. And so I want to thank you, Pastor Tran and Anna and Luke and Tiana. I want to thank you for seeing the butterflies, 
seeing the butterflies while they were still yet in the caterpillar. I want to thank you for cultivating a culture of becoming, for cultivating shelter, for being a safe place, for instilling vision in us, for being a voice of hope, for even telling us individually God's promises for our lives. I have never been encouraged by someone so much. Like Janita said last night, we'd be picking up chairs in the Memorial Union or, or cleaning up. And Pastor was always talking to us about who God said we were. And today, I go back to those. I have not forgotten a word. I have not. And when the enemy tries to tell me otherwise, I know. You confirmed it. You affirmed it. What God said about me, what God is saying about us. Thank you for challenging us. Has anybody ever gotten in trouble with Pastor Turan? I used to get in trouble all the time. <laughs> he would call, sister, come over here. Let's talk. <laughs> Those were good talks. I needed them. Thank you for equipping, equipping us. I know that in, in 2001, when I had to leave, I was not happy. I was pretty irritated, irritated with God that I, that I had to leave, but I, but I now know, I now understand it, that I, I needed to take this Shiloh at BCC residue out to, to other places. I was talking to a young lady on the phone the other day, and she was like, every time I talk to you, I cry. I don't know why that is. And I was like, I do, I know why that is. That's that, <laughs> that's that Shiloh at BCC residue. <laughs> That's what happens, because you could be, thank you for allowing us to be vulnerable. Thank you for letting me cry every Sunday. Thank you. Thank you for hugging me. Thank you for calling me. When God puts something on your heart, thank you that you do that. Thank you for resonating, Shiloh. Thank you for cultivating this place of rest and peace. Thank you for teaching us how to walk in God's power how to walk in God's love, and how to walk in God's promises. Thank you for allowing us to be vulnerable and transparent, allowing us to let down our defenses, to pour out ourselves so that we could gain the, the meaning and, and purpose and direction for our lives. Yes, Do you remember that time, pa Pastor? Well, back then he preached this message, and I think everybody went and changed their majors after that. <laughs> <laughs> purpose purpose thank you for vision thank you for the conviction the confidence and the freedom and most importantly thank you for teaching us how and allowing us to live every aspect of our lives in Christ thank you so much